Thank you, Grayson and team. I love this book. The more we study it, the more I enjoy it. Uh, the simple title for today is The Call to Christian Conduct. Obviously, the Bible uh, is full of places where it's telling us how to live, how to act, how to uh, function within a society, within a church, within a family. And I think this is as clear a place as we're going to find in Scripture where it just kind of packages it all up. How do I live in uh, obedience to Christ in every aspect of my life and in everything uh, that I do? In the world we live in today, there's a myriad of opinions on how we should coexist with one another. Uh, matter of fact, I found an article from four years ago from the Huffington Post, and it, one of the sentences that just kind of hung with me is, we have become missionaries not just for our religions, but for our political stances. Now, I want you to think about the impact of that statement for us in the church in America. We have become missionaries not just for our religions, but for our political stances, so for us, for us to proclaim any gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? Heresy. Amen? There's no other way to heaven, Democrat or Republican, red, yellow, black, white. There's no other path other than through the blood of Jesus. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no disagreement with that statement. You can say that he's crazy, you can say that he's wrong, but you can't say that he didn't understand his position, who he was, and what God had called him as to be the gatekeeper, the, the one through which we can only reach the Father. So all these other opinions, all these other ideologies, uh, if we represent those more than we represent Christ, we are misplacing our efforts. We're misplacing our convictions. And we're also polluting the true gospel that we're supposed to be presenting. We are to be disciple makers. That's what we are. That's our kingdom job, Josh, right? Above anything else we do vocationally or uh, for a hobby or for a pleasure, for, uh, as a good dad, a good wife, a good whatever, anything else we do above any of that, we are primarily left on this earth to make disciples for Jesus Christ. So if we are shouting louder about our political preferences than we are about our king, then we're wasting our voice. If we're shouting louder about our denominational preference than we are our king, we're wasting our voice. So all of the things that we do in our life should be rooted in the word of God and should be focused on the call of God, which is to make disciples. Now, that word coexist has been hijacked, and I've seen a, you've probably seen this bumper sticker before, it's got all these different religions or, or points of view, and uh, it's got the, the, uh, the moon of Islam, it's got the star of David, it's got the, I think that's uh, the yin and the yang, I think that's Buddhism or Hinduism, one of those isms, the E there has got the male and female symbol, and I guess maybe they should cancel that, because we don't do that anymore, but look at the end of it. See that T on the end? Here's what's, here's what's comical to me. All the other letters won't let you coexist with other people. That, that T on the end represents the cross of Christ, and that is the only worldview that tells you that you need to coexist. Now, it tells you you need to coexist while telling them that they need to come to Christ, but it's still letting you coexist. It's not telling you go out and kill the unbeliever. It's not telling you to attack people because they don't believe like you do or think like you do or act or live like you do. We follow the Christ of the Bible, and the Christ of the Bible tells us to coexist. We're going to talk about the verse later, but he basically says, Paul says, in as much as it is up to you, coexist. Get along with people. Try not to be a burr in somebody's saddle. 
I don't understand how we're supposed to coexist when we live in a society where we're told to respect all opinions unless they differ from the person sharing that opinion. You ever notice that? People want you to share your opinion until it disagrees with them, and then they want to silence you or cancel you as our culture is now kind of embraced. We're also told in our culture that love wins. And just by the way, parenthetically, the people who shout love wins the loudest are some pretty non-loving folks if you tell them you disagree with their point of view. Now, my Bible tells me that love does win. It says that we should love people as Christ loved us. But here's what love does not look like. If I know you're about to drink poison and I say, well, I love you, so I'm going to let you drink it anyway. That's not love. That's insanity. That's cruelty. So you say love wins, and I say, okay, good. Well, I love you enough to tell you what the Bible says about your lifestyle and to tell you that Christ is the only way to heaven. And all of a sudden, they don't love me. And y'all, I get that. I'm not real lovable. Y'all pray for April. We're also told to believe all accusers until somebody from your tribe gets accused. And then it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> you know, when it's, when it's the other guy, you're like, aha, believe all accusers. Get, cancel them. Get rid of them. And you're like, yeah, but they accuse your guy. Oh, well, no, my guy didn't do it. And by the way, we still do that even in our denomination. There, there are some pretty serious factionings. Uh, factions in, involved in us, some fracturing of our denomination. And let me tell you something, I've been involved in it this week. Uh, I made a pretty, I thought a pretty innocuous statement on a post by a guy that I don't even really know. So y'all, y'all have, anybody else, is it just me? You have people that are your friends on Facebook that you ain't got a clue how you know them? Whew, thank y'all. Whew, y'all just took a lot of relief off of me. I'm looking at my, how do I know that guy? And he posted something. Uh, y'all listen, I, April will tell you, I used to, I used to wake up looking for the fight. Like, I would wake up, get dressed, put my gloves on, and be like, all right, let's go. Let's find who, who I'm going to punch on today. I, I've kind of got out of that, especially in the social media realm. There's enough loud idiots on social media. I don't need to help, okay? So I kind of have stayed back, but I decided that I would, I would just simply put this, here's my two cents. Y'all, I have been attacked by people that I don't know. I look at my notifications. So-and-so mentioned you in their comment. I'm like, who? I don't know who that is. And this ain't new phone, who this? I don't know who this is. I got an old phone. I don't know who this. And I got an old phone, Taryn. Yeah, thing's old as Methuselah. So I get it open. I look, and I'm like, well, I don't know who this is, but I have, I have stepped on their ant bed. And they are just fired up. You know why? Because I'm against their guy. Here's the thing, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a rational, peacemaking voice, and I've been attacked in this string of comments. S- said all that to say this. No matter, no matter what argument you try to wade into in 2021, man, it, it seems like every time that you try to wade in, just say, well, here's, here's my simple opinion, my two cents. <laughs> and that's the culture that we live in. So because that's the culture we live in and we're trying to coexist, how do we do that? We do it by doing what Peter tells us to do. How? Peter tells us to live. Because, again, Peter was writing under the influence, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So with respect to all the other opinions up there, with respect to all the other opinions on social media, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to live my life as the Bible spells out here. That's what I'm going to do. Now, full disclosure, um, I'm not there. (laughs) I know that's not very pastoral. I know you're supposed to get to the pulpit and say, well, bless God, you need to get to my level. Y'all just keep praying about it. Eventually you'll be to the level that I am where I'm you know, me and Lucas, we're above the fray. We're, we're up here closer to Jesus, and you people just need to come to our level. 
I'm just going to be real with you. I was telling Kyle the other day, we were talking about just things going on, and I said, listen, I think my preaching sometimes is like watching sausage be made. Like, I love sausage, but I don't want to watch them make it. I'm just being real, just being honest, full disclosure. I'm going to preach to you things today that God has been pounding me with for weeks. And as I'm writing this message, I'm understanding the more sermons I write, the more I understand the verse of the Bible that says the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is it two-edged? Because you can't pick that jewel up without getting cut if you're doing it the right way. And so every time I pick it up and it cuts me, I want to come bring it and share the love with y'all. So I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm still battling some areas that I'm going to tell you to battle. So don't feel like you're, I'm telling you to come to my level. I'm telling you to get in here and let's fight. Let's fight the flesh. Let's fight the adversary. And let's move closer to King Jesus. Will you do that with me today? Well, let's dive in. The first thing I want to talk to you about is what Peter is telling us here is that we are being urged as aliens urged as aliens in verse 11 he says dear friends i urge you as strangers and exiles a lot of different translations will say things like pilgrims and and uh, strangers uh, pilgrims and passers through uh, he's reminding us here that we're not citizens of this world very simply he's saying as strangers and exiles or or whatever your verse your version says the concept is the same we don't belong here Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20 that we are citizens of heaven. So my citizenship, and by the way, again, in America, and I'm, I'm going to make, if you're not mad already, just hang to the last point. That last point, buddy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke a hornet's nest or die trying. My citizenship as an American has got to remain secondary to my citizenship in heaven. All day, every day, twice on Sundays, my citizenship only matters if I first prioritize my citizenship in heaven and then any other citizenship that I have, whether that's America, the country I love that I served in the Navy, uh, Alabama, the state that I have planted my life in since I was born and raised here, uh, Mobile, that my new home, I think I remember telling the story here one time that when I was driving across the bridge coming over here that first Tuesday, to come like, put my stuff in my office and start Wednesday, I saw the skyline and God really just stirred my heart for the city of Mobile and nothing has changed seven years later. But my citizenship, no matter where I rank it, everything has got to rank secondary to my citizenship in heaven. And then I want you to look at the words he uses. Just in this one verse, there are three really powerful Greek words that, that really kind of grab you if you're looking and studying what, what Peter's trying to get across. The first one is the word urge. Parakaleo in the Greek. I know that just blesses you. Parakaleo, and it means to ask far earnestly, to beg, to plead. In Luke 8, there's a story about Jesus being confronted. He's walking along, and this guy named Jairus, who's one of the temple, uh, synagogue leaders, comes to him, and he's very distraught. You remember why he's distraught? He's got a sick kid. Jen understands that, being a mom and a daycare director, and even now kind of a semi-daycare director in her house. When you got sick kids, it, it makes you desperate, doesn't it? Especially when you got a baseball team of them. You got, I mean, you, you, all of them sick, and you just like, you start pleading, and that's what Jarius did. Jarius comes to Jesus, and this is what the verse says. 
uh, in verse 41 and 42, he says he fell down at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with him. Pericaleo, he, he urged him. He begged him. He said, please, come help my daughter. She's sick. She's near the point of death. And look, the same language is being used here by Peter. That same attentiveness, uh, in, uh, that same uh, 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 panic is in Peter's voice when he's saying, Hey, church, listen to me. I urge you. I beg you. I plead with you. He is, he is doing whatever he can to get our attention to the fact that what he is about to say is critical for us to represent Christ. It's also the same word used in Ephesians 4.1 where Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. It's almost like Paul is kind of the parenthetical and Peter is the expounding on it. I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to walk worthy of your calling. And he's saying, I urge you as strangers, as aliens, as pilgrims, as pastors through to do this. This is how we represent Christ. They use this strong language because the topic they're talking about is powerful. It's important for us to grasp. And then he uses the word abstain which is another really uh, unique Greek word. It's not just abstain, and it's not simplified. Sometimes the, the, the connotations you get in studying the Greek are really powerful because they, they expand more uh, than, than English can. You're like They have several words for the word love. Uh, I say I love my wife, I love my dog, I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. All diff you know, That's the same word, but very different feelings. They would have different words to describe that. And they do the same thing here. The word abstain in the Greek means to be away from, to be distant. And I like this one, to hold oneself off. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, this same word abstain, but they translate it stay away from every kind of evil. So again, I'm a visual person, and no, I don't have one of these up here. I didn't bring a prop this week. <laughs> but I'm a visual person, so here's what I want you to do. Now bear with me, I'm not trying to meddle yet. I'm not trying to meddle right now. I'll get there. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this picture, okay? What if we treated sin like a deadly cobra? What if we treated every sin in our life, listen to me, whether that's gossip, whether that's hate, whether that's murder, theft, lying, any of those sins in our lives, anything the Ten Commandments says don't do, anything the Bible stands against, we have to stand against, amen? So what if we treated all of those like a deadly cobra and we kept our distance so that it could not strike us? Here's what I think. Now, I'm assuming, and I'm not going to throw this rock at you. I'm not going to stand up here and throw a rock and hide my hand. I'm going to be honest. I am guilty of doing this sometimes too, but I don't think I'm the only one. Sometimes maybe we treat, Michelle, we treat sin like a puppy, not like a cobra. Like we want to pet it and, and we want to train it. Hey, sit, speak, roll over fetch. All, we want to train it, but we don't want to treat it like a cobra and, and keep our distance from it. We want to get close to it. We want to, be able, we want to think we're in control of it. Here's, here's the dirty little secret. Most of you if, you, if you have a puppy at home right now, you really are going to get this message, this analogy. You think you're training it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Brian and Sherry has got a Shetland pony. That dog is not, y'all ain't training it, it's training you, right? Still. That's what happens. You're training it, and it's going, all right, what do I got to do to get this guy to give me a treat? Let me, let me, all right, hey, how about this? How about if I bark when you say speak, you give me food? The dog thinks he's training you. I want you to understand, that's how sin is. You're not training, look at me, you can't train sin. You can't control sin. 
The difference between the sin that we treat like a puppy and the sin that we should treat like a cobra, there's none. It's the same sin. The problem is we lull ourselves in this false sense of security that thinks we can bring it in and get it close to us and we can control it, but you can't. You cannot control it. You should treat it like it's deadly and you should keep your distance. That's the, the connotation of this Greek word when it says abstain, keep distant, back away from, withhold oneself from, get away from it. Now, I'm going to be honest. I know this is going to offend people. I don't care. I love you. I, I don't want to hurt anybody for just no reason. But if it hurts your feelings to hear the truth of Scripture, then I'm your guy. That's why it's so deadly for Christians to drink alcohol. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and preach a sermon on it. Just being honest with you. You say it's okay to drink, but you're petting that cobra. Listen, I had a dad who was an alcoholic. He didn't start drinking at 12 or 14. I can't remember. He didn't start drinking then and tip his glass and say, here's to being dead early. Here's to being having cirrhosis of the liver. Here's to not being able to watch my grandchildren grow up. But what happens is you start drinking it, and eventually it starts drinking you. I'm not trying to be some fuddy-duddy. I'm just telling you that I want to be closer to Jesus, and if that means i got to get further from sin, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to abstain from Sin. Then he uses this term wage war. And in the Greek, it's talking about to serve in a military campaign. It's a very uh, militaristic word. It should make you think about being a soldier in the armed forces. Listen to what Paul, he uses this same word in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. He says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Now listen, I understand that there are strongholds in people's lives. And here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. I sympathize with you. I have had those and I still to some extent probably have some of those. They're not as strong as they used to be, but they're still there. Sometimes they'll rear their ugly head. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you have a stronghold in your life, there's one of two reasons that it is there. You hear me? One of two reasons. Number one, either you like it being there, whether you'll admit that or not, so you're not asking God through the power of his Holy Spirit to help come alongside you and demolish that stronghold, or you are just not mature enough in your faith to recognize it and ask God to do something about it. So you're, it's either there and you don't realize it, or you don't want it to leave, one of the two. Because this verse tells me that we don't have fleshly weapons that we use as we wage war against this fleshly uh, enemy that we have, which is us. It says that we wage war with powerful spiritual things, which is the Holy Spirit of God, powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. If we understand that our flesh and our adversary both want to wage war against us, then we will stand ready for the fight and not become complacent. Because that's really what it is. If you don't realize it's there, it's because of complacency. We are called to live righteous lives in an unrighteous world and to be holy amidst hostility. That's what he's saying here in verse 11, as we are being urged as aliens. But now look at verse 12, and he, sees, he says here, we must be observed as honorable. Observed as honorable. He, he uses the term Gentiles, and in this context, he was again, Peter was writing his letter primarily to the dispersed Jewish Christians who had been run out of Jerusalem because of the persecution. So he's mentioning these things in terms that they would understand. When he says Gentiles, we need to understand he's saying pagans. Uh, heathens, or, or as my grandmother would say, heathens. I know what a heathen was. I don't know if that's a real thing or if that's just she was country or what. But she'd tell me, don't act like a heathen. And then she would talk about people, oh, those are the heathen. I don't know if I was in the same, I don't know. I was, I was confused by that. But what he's basically saying when he says Gentiles, he's talking about people outside of our family of faith. 
Anybody outside of our belief system, anybody that's not following Christ, for our context, we would read that's who he's calling Gentiles here. Now, there's a statement that's been overly used in the Southern Baptist Convention lately. I'm, I'm really frustrated by it because it's a true statement and a, and a very powerful sentiment, but I'm just tired of hearing it the way it's been used. Here it is. The world is watching. Ooh. The world is watching. Well, they just flip their TV on? Did they just wake up from a, from a what, what is, why is the world watching now? They're not watching now. They're always watching. Not just when we're bickering back and forth among each other. Not when we're just having our annual meeting and we're making statements and resolutions and votes. Look at me. If you're a follower of Christ, here's the, here's the dirty little secret that the enemy doesn't want you to know. The world is always watching. They're always watching. Coach Seymour over there. Matt loves when I do these. If you, have a, if you have somebody who plays baseball for you, what jersey do they wear? They wear the faith jersey, right? They don't wear like an Auburn, Alabama jersey when they're playing for you. They don't wear like, you know, Joe's Smoke Shack, you know, that they wore in T-ball. They wear the jersey that says faith across the front. And who do they represent? They, faith Academy. And... and you and the teachers and principals and the parents. So how do you expect them to live when they're wearing that jersey? The same expectation is on us. When we put on the armor of God, as we love to use that verse, when we put on Christ, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we are putting on the jersey of Jesus Christ, and we should live like it. I'll tell you a quick story. I was lost as a goose in a high wind when I was in the military. And I was playing softball for two different teams. I probably wasn't supposed to say that. I was playing softball for two teams, the team of my ship, and then another team that had asked me to play with them. And they were like, are you, you part of that? I was like, sure. So I was playing two or three nights a week, and we would leave playing on the ship, on the base for the Admiral's Cup is what they called it. And we would go off base, and we'd go to a little watering hole, and we'd watch some games, and we'd have a little libation. And I would come in there in my whatever ship or whatever you know, whatever group I was on in their softball jersey. I would go straight mud and, and dirt and blood or whatever, and I'd just go in there and hang out. And I would see these guys come in that bar, and it'd be like, you know, I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> I would keep forgetting we're on the Internet, Grayson. I need you sometimes just to stand up and just wave me off. But I would see so-and-so church on their shirt, and they had been there, I mean, like drink for drink with these sailors. Now, as a lost person, I would look at that and say, see there? They ain't got nothing, they ain't, they ain't nothing about them different. I ain't got to worry about them. See, the world was watching. When I was the world, <laughs> I was watching. And when you're living for Christ, when you make that profession of faith, the world's watching. I talked to Grayson about it this morning just a little bit. I said, hey, man, listen, here's what I want you to understand. Baptism doesn't save you, but it marks you. When, you. when you do this public profession of faith, when you make it public that you are now sold out for Jesus, every decision you make from here on out has got to be different. Where you go, how you act, how you talk, what you post, Everything that you do, people are watching. It's being scrutinized. So while I agree with the statement, I get frustrated that it's being used in a certain context now because the world is always watching. It's nothing different. Just because we're bickering among ourselves doesn't bring more attention that the world is watching. They're always watching. So here, here's, here's kind of to break it down to kind of analogize this. So if remember back when we used to have these things called um, uh, movies? Remember back before COVID when we used to have movies, we used to go to the theater, we'd pay like, you know, half a kidney and we go sit in there and we watch 75 minutes of what before the movie commercial commercials what else are they called previews trailers 
So we're watching the previews. We're watching the trailers. And what is the job of the trailer? The job of the trailer is to make you go, hey, man, I got to see that. Now, it seemed like half the time every movie I went to, I'm sitting there going, I ain't watching that. Why are they show? I ain't going to watch that. But that's the, that's the job of the trailer, right, is to get you in, to draw you in. If you're watching the trailer, you're not watching some actor stand there and drink coffee and eat peanuts and go, hey, we got a movie coming out. That'd be a pretty lousy trailer, wouldn't it? The trailer's job is to get you to want to watch the movie. If you watch the trailer and you don't want to watch the movie, the trailer failed. Now, here's the analogy. If Jesus is the movie, we're the trailer. Now, listen, I didn't like this. When I wrote it, I didn't like it. So are you living your life in such a way, look at me, that people are watching you, they're watching the trailer are you going to make them want to see the movie? Are you going to make them want to look into Jesus? Are you going to make them want to draw closer to him and really see if this faith thing is real? One of the most powerful things that I've learned over the last several years of watching many people go through terrible situations, and we, we have some going through those today, is the power that God has in making that trailer something you can't turn away from when, we, when people live out their faith in adversity. When people live out their faith in loss, in sickness, in, in brokenness. When people live their faith out that way, people focus in, they watch, and they're just, man, they're eating their popcorn, and they're watching. And I've seen people come to Christ because of adversity more than I've ever seen people come to Christ over wealth and fame and popularity. It's because that trailer draws them in, and that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Since the world is watching, we ought to be doing stuff. Anybody remember the meme from a few years ago? It was one of my favorites. It's a little stick figure, and he had a stick, and he's poking whatever. Like I remember, because I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm sad about that, but they would have the Cowboys logo, and he'd be poking it with a stick, and it would say, do stuff. And that was like the whole meme was they would just put somebody's logo there, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, the, your team, their team, and he'd be poking it with a stick saying, do stuff. Listen, that's what the world is doing to us. The world is looking at us, and they're poking us with a stick and saying, do stuff. My life is incomplete, and I don't know what it is. You claim to have this uh, eternal life happening for you. You claim to have this other citizenship somewhere else. Do stuff. That's what we ought to be. We ought to be about stuff. We ought to be doing stuff. If you went to a movie and all the actors just stood around eating uh, snacks for two hours, it would be a terrible movie. If you went to a movie and all they did was just sit around. You, what, if, what if you went to a movie and they just had a guy show up and say, Hello, I'm going to read you the screenplay of the movie that you paid to see tonight. No other actors, no CGI, no cartoon figures, just some dude, even if it was the, like the coolest voice ever, which is, listen, you can either think that James Earl Jones is the coolest voice or you can be wrong. It's up to you. But even if it's James Earl Jones reading the screenplay, I'm not paying $15 to go listen to that. I'm not even going to watch that for free. We want action. We want suspense. We want to see these people act, them, act their, their characters out. And that's what we need to do for Christ. We should point people to Christ by our actions, not just our opinions. Because people need to know what we are about, not just what we are against. We should be leading the way in foster care. We should be leading the way in adoption and caring for the hurting and encouraging other people. And most of all, in sharing the gospel. Jesus said this in, in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what we're supposed to do. That's discipleship in a nutshell is let your light shine. 
Your light needs to shine through how you treat others. Now, I remember the, the, the uh, quote was attributed, I think, to Sir Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas. And I, if I remember correctly, I think maybe he had said he didn't say it or something. Was, you know, he didn't plagiarize it. I don't know. That's like the hot button thing now, too. But somewhere or another, somebody said this, and it was attributed to him. Here's the, here's the quote. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Well, here's the problem with that. It's always necessary. Otherwise, people just think, man, you're just, Dion's just a nice guy. If Dion never says, I'm being a nice guy because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm being a nice guy because the guy that I was before Christ, you wouldn't have thought was a nice guy. I'm being a nice guy so that I can have an opportunity to tell you that Jesus Christ alone can, can save you from your sins and redeem your wretched life and get you into the presence of the Father. If you never use words, then you're not doing anything for the kingdom. So when we, when we advance the gospel, we can advance it through foster care, adoption, through good works, through feeding the homeless, through sheltering the, the, the homeless. There's so many opportunities, so many avenues, but we have to be about telling people why. Letting our light shine means we tell them what is the source of that light. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Not your theology, not your denominational alliances, not how you dress or how you talk, but the love that you show one another. The church has got to stop shooting its wounded. We have a reputation, and listen to me, church, I'm not talking about Westmobile. I'm talking about the church in general. We have earned that reputation as being people who shoot our wounded. You come in hurt, and it's like, you ever watch those National Geographic things? And the guy's talking, he's like, you see, this animal has been involved in a fight, and he is now unable to keep up with the rest, and they eat him up. That's what the church does if we're not careful. And I think it's like we, we don't want to, oh, mm-mm, mm-mm, uh. That guy messed up. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't, don't touch him. It might, it might get on me. We've got to start showing that love when people need it to be shown the most, which is when they're hurting. And you might respond by saying, well, some of these people aren't lovable. <laughs> you ever consider maybe you're not the most gentle, fuzzy teddy bear in the, in the store? And here's the point. Jesus didn't say we're to love each other when we're lovable or when we feel like it. He said to love each other without reservation or requirement. Just love people, man. It ain't complicated. It ain't, it's hard. It's challenging. I'm going to be honest with you. And li- again, truth be told, I'm as, I'm as unlovable as anybody. Don't you say amen. I was hoping when I said that I was still working on some of these things, I didn't have it all whipped, that I would hear April gasp, shocked. <gasps> You know, that she was shocked that I still, she's apparently not shocked by that. <laughs> First Peter 3.15 says, We must be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is within us. Here's the, here's the secret to that verse. If you never act like you have hope in you, nobody's ever going to ask you. you. You got bitter Betty over there that's always just sold up and mad about everything. It was too hot, it was too cold, it was too loud, it was too quiet. I didn't like what he said, didn't like what he didn't say. I didn't, it was early, it was late, it was raining, it was sunny, it was hot, it was cold. And then you go, hey, have you told somebody about Jesus? I just bless the Lord. I just pray for him. And you got Jerk Johnny over here who's mad at everybody, he's, he's against everybody. He's always railing against something on social media. He, you never know what he's for, you just know what he's mad about. And you just hope that you don't get in the crosshairs. And he professes faith in Christ. And you wonder why the world doesn't look at those two and say, man, i got to have me some of that. 
They're never, nobody in the world is going to go to those two individuals and say, hey, where do you get all this hope and joy in your life? Can you tell me about the hope that is within you? Because you're going to have to get on a limb and assume there's any hope in them. Listen to me, church. We've got to live in a way that makes people want to come figure out what it is that we've got. How do you live in this world and not love Jesus and follow Christ? If you watch the news and you don't know Jesus, how do you get out of bed in the morning? Yo, we're headed to hell on a rocket ship. Our society is crumbling around us. There's, there's, there's all kind of crime and pestilence and, and all this other stuff. And those of us with a biblical worldview say, come on. I know he's coming soon. I know these are signs of the times. How do you function if you don't know that? We have a grand opportunity now as much as any time in our history of having hope, showing hope, letting our light shine, and then being able to tell people about Jesus. But we must be observed as honorable if we're going to do that. And parenthetically here he says, the last part of that, say, we'll observe your good works and we'll glorify God on the day he visits. Some commentators believe that means when they are prompted by the Holy Spirit to respond in faith to a gospel call. Some believe that, and by the way, I, I agree with that. That's probably not talking about the day of judgment because the Bible is clear about that. The Lord's day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. There's a lot of other phrases that they typically use. I do believe that when he says they will glorify God on the day he visits means that when the Holy Spirit draws them, they will come partly because you have shown them that hope, that you've lived out that life in front of them so they know there's something real about it. That's a big ask on our part, amen? That we play a part in helping God draw the lost? We ought to live like it. We ought to, we ought to be excited that God has called us to partner with him to save people from hell. The third thing, we must submit as sovereign citizens. Now, I, this is the most uncomfortable part of the message, um, most uncomfortable part of this passage, and it's controversial for us in the church in America. We just celebrated our 245th Independence Day, which commemorates the day the 13 colonies in America via the Continental Congress essentially said to King George, you ain't the boss of me. Loudly, clearly. And when they signed the Declaration of Independence, those men signed their death warrant. It seems there's been a rebellious spirit within us ever since the pilgrims fled the oppressive and, and egregiously problematic Church of England and landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620. We, it's in our DNA. I tell people all the time, what's different about Americans? We have rebel in our DNA. We don't like being under anybody's thumb. It makes me nervous when the government says stuff like, we're going to come door to door and make you take a shot. Like, Lord, <laughs> I need you to do a work. <laughs> what you've done for others. The same spirit in those brave men and women is alive and well in us today, so we don't like to submit. It's not really natural for us just to go, okay, I'll roll over and let you do what you want to do. However, we're clearly called in Scripture to show humility and submission as we honor Christ in the way we conduct ourselves, and that includes how we conduct ourselves as it relates to government. Romans 13.1, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. In Matthew 22, 21, Jesus said, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, he's talking about taxes specifically, but I've, I'm convinced that there's more to it than just taxes. And by the way, just so you understand that, when Paul wrote that letter to the Romans, the government was, a, was an oppressive regime. There was no democracy. There was no uh, uh, freedoms. They, they were very dictatorial, and they, they could just kill you. And what does Paul say? Run from them? Fight them? No, he says Submit. 
So I, and again, I'm not, I don't enjoy this. I'm just telling you what the Word says. Submission begins at the home. Submission begins at the home. I don't know who said this either. I heard Johnny Hunt say it one time. Uh, the, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. And so if any of us, if we're going to be a witness to our neighbor, we're going to be a witness to our coworker, to, our, uh, to, our, to the lady at Walmart, we better be a witness to our family. We better be living for Jesus in our home before we go try to live for Jesus in the culture. So first off, children need to submit to their parents. Now some of y'all need to amen that, moms and dads. Colossians 3.20. Wives need to submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5.22. And husbands need to submit to Christ. You're just there, Neil. I'm sorry. I'd... 1 Corinthians 11.3. Submission continues from the home. It continues to the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.12-13. And then it follows into the world. Romans 13.1-6. There's so many examples in Scripture of us being called to submit. Remember Jesus in the garden? What did Jesus do in the garden? He submitted. He said, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to drink your cup of wrath. I don't want to be crucified. But not my will, but your will be done. That's submission. And sometimes our submission is going to be uncomfortable as well, but we're still called to submit. And by the way, just parenthetically, the Ephesians 5 that catches so much attention, why do you need to submit? You better get to submitting. You better say, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you. You want to have a standard? Here's your standard. Submit to your husband or love as Christ loved. And by the way, husbands, if you're not loving sacrificially, don't come talk to me about your wife not submitting. Listen to some other verses from the Bible. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 5, 21, again, talking about the family relationship, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Very summary, uh, a very good summary of all this is Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That's a very anti-2021 sentiment, by the way. As in most cases, there's always a limit on submission to any earthly power. In Acts 4 and Acts 5, we see that spelled out pretty clearly. In Acts 4, Peter and John have been called in, have been called on the carpet because they had done a healing. They healed a man in the name of Jesus. And they, they challenged them and they said, you better quit or you know, why'd you do this? And here, here's the response. Listen to this. In verse 19 and 20. Uh, here's Peter and John responding. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Here's what he's saying. You do what you've got to do, boss, because I'm going to do what God has called me to do. You decide if it's right or wrong for me to do what you do, what you tell me to do, or do what the Bible tells me to do, but I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And if that gets me in your crosshairs, if that gets me in your, out of your good graces, then so be it. Then in Acts 5, they're arrested again. They're flogged. They're threatened to never preach the name of Jesus. And they had a very unusual response. Listen to verses 41 and 42 of Acts 5. They went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, the people who had flogged them, arrested them, and threatened them. And they, here's what it says. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. What name? The name that is above every name. The name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name. They counted themselves worthy of being punished, crucified, killed, whatever it took. They were excited because their allegiance to the name of Jesus had gotten them in trouble. What a radical thought for the American church today. 
And then it says in verse 42, Every day in the temple in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Listen to what they didn't do. They didn't gather an armed militia. They didn't start a riot and burn down businesses, but they also didn't hide in fear. Instead, they submitted to the government, but they never stopped submitting to God. At the risk of their liberties, their livelihoods, their loved ones, even their lives, they remained faithful. And can I tell you this this morning? May we find ourselves the same as these early saints. That regardless of what it costs us, we stay faithful. Warren Wearsby said this about this passage, A true Christian submits himself to authority because he is first of all submitted to Christ. He uses his freedom as a tool to build with and not a weapon to fight with. As citizens of a democratic republic, we're able to voice our opinions on issues, support and elect leaders who will vote like us, lead like us. We hope. Leave that there. And we're able to redress our government. We can use our rights as citizens in a similar manner to how Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen in Acts 22 and Acts 25. I don't have time to parse all that out today, but I'd encourage you, go look at how Paul used his Roman citizenship in in Acts 22 and Acts 25 and look at the keys of how he used that to bring glory to Christ, to to, to advance his mission for God. We must be willing to live in submission to the government so we can honor the Lord and point people to the cross because liberty must never be used as an excuse for selfish living. What we can never do, ever, is compromise the gospel in an effort to go along to get along. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Now don't miss the fact that he says with holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. We're to pursue peace and holiness. In other words, we need to try to find peace, but we need to always make sure we are pursuing Christ. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Inasmuch as it is up to you, as far as it goes with me, I don't have any enemies. There was a famous singer one time years ago said, Well, America should just not have any enemies, and then we wouldn't have any wars. God, why didn't I think of that? What a brilliant, astute political savvy mind that we have there how do you how do you not have wars just don't have enemies that's a good idea ain't it jamie you're gonna talk our enemies into believing that good luck but what he's saying here in romans 12 we as much as it is up to us have got to live in peace let me tell you something had a situation going on a few years ago me and Dion talked about it and i said this verse when i ran across it brought me a great deal of comfort because i decided that this was going to be where i would anchor my attitude and my opinions about this situation And as much as it is up to me, I will live at peace. I can't make this other person live at peace with me, but I will live at peace with them. I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to think bad about them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to be mad at somebody that you're lifting to the Lord in prayer constantly. That person still hates my guts. I'm just being honest with you. But I'm telling you, as God is my witness, and as much as it is up to me, it's whatever I've got to say about it, I'm at peace. We must honor the office even if the person in the office is dishonorable. Again, let me just say, struggle bus with that right now. When I wrote it, it's almost like I wanted to throw the pen in the garbage. I don't like that. But here at church, God has established our government. Nobody nobody gets elected dog catcher without God allowing it. God either allows or appoints every single person in any political office. 
sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Go look at, at, the, at the story of Daniel. We're, we just finished chapter 9 uh, on, on Wednesday nights. Go look at the story of Daniel. The Babylonians came in and who, who, who anointed them? Who uh, 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 put them in their place and gave them their authority to go in and take over Israel? God did. You don't think it was hard for them to submit to them, but they had to. Why? Because God put them in authority. Took, they took and crushed them and brought them into exile, and they, they had to live in authority to, to the Babylonians. So then Peter closes this passage with this great encapsulation, this summary, and I'm going to summarize his summary. He basically says, show respect to everyone, sacrificially love the family of faith, show reverence to God, and I like the fact that he says fear God, because by the way, uh, Fearing the Lord is the beginning of any wisdom you might want to have. If you think you're sharp, you better be scared of God if you get outside of Him. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a vengeful God. And then recognize the authority of the government. So let me close with this. Our conduct will reflect our commitment and our actions will reflect our attitudes. We can't just talk like we're submitting to Christ. We have to live like it. Listen to these two passages. Romans, I mean, I'm sorry. Luke 6, 46 Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I've asked my daughter that a lot of times. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. Well, then do what I told you to do. Don't tell me you love me when you didn't do what I told you to do. No parents going to amen that? Your kids ain't listening. It's all right. See, Jesus takes that same approach. He says, hey, you're, you're telling me that I'm your Lord, but you ain't doing what I say. You don't have that option. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. When you call him Lord, you better submit to his authority. You better follow his word. You better be obedient to everything he calls you to do. Because if not, then you find yourself here in Matthew 7, 21. He says, this is Jesus talking again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. I've heard Rick Burgess from the Rick and Bubba show. He's going to be here speaking in September. I've heard him say this, uh, one of the most powerful statements on, on what it looks like to really truly live out your faith. He said, you don't always live out what you profess, but you always live out what you believe. You don't always live out what you profess, but you always live out what you believe. It's uncontrollable. If I believe something, I'm going to live like it. If I tell you that drinking a lot of water is important, but I never drink a lot of water, then guess what? I don't really believe that. But if I believe it, I'm going to drink a lot of water whether I tell you about it or not. And it's the same way we're following Christ. If we are truly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are going to live like it. It's going to ooze out of our pores. It's going to come out of what we write and what we think and what we watch, how we interact with people, where our money goes, where our time goes. That's what it means to be submitted to the Lord. Listen, Jesus is giving a, this is one of the scariest verses in Scripture. That you can come to church all the time. You can be a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a pastor. And you say, Lord, Lord. And then you get up there and he goes, I don't know you. But I said, Lord, Lord. And he goes on that passage and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Do many wonderful works in your name? He says, but I don't know you. That means you didn't surrender to me. You didn't submitted to me. It's critical that we live our lives like we are completely surrendered to Christ in every aspect, the world really is watching. And more than that, God's watching. And by the way, he sees those hidden posts. He sees those private messages. And when you slid off in those DMs and think nobody's going to find out about it, he knows. When you follow that social media person that you don't need to follow, when you go to that website, click that link, look at those pictures, 
that you're not supposed to look at or think about? He sees that. When you think ill of your neighbor, when you're mad at this guy because he voted the wrong way, or you're mad at this politician because he thinks the wrong way, let me tell you something. God sees all of that. If you've never surrendered to Christ, and listen, notice what I I didn't say if you've never said this or asked Jesus into your heart, if you've never joined a church or, no, no, no. If you have never surrendered to Christ, I urge you, beg you, plead with you to do that today. If you profess Christ, if you speak his name with your lips, but you're not living for him with your life, I beg you to correct that today. The call to Christian conduct is a call to surrender and submit to the Lordship of Christ and live your life for Him. So here's my prayer today, that you would ask God, through His Holy Spirit, to search you. That you would ask Him to break your life down bit by bit, piece by piece, and see if there's any place in your life where you're not living fully for Christ. Maybe that's in the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids, your coworkers. Maybe it's your social media. Maybe it's your private web browser that nobody knows about. Maybe it's just in your heart. But if you're not fully committed to the Lordship of Christ, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show that to you. Even if there's just a small sliver, I want you to hear me. The enemy only wants one little quarter inch of your life, but he wants it right in the very middle, and he wants access and easements from every other direction. That's the great lie of the enemy, the great lie of flesh, is that you don't have to give yourself wholly to me. You just give me a little piece. You, you can go to church and you can do all that stuff. Just let me have this little bitty, just give me one little acre in the middle of your 40. And I'm telling you, it'll grow like a cancer if you give it to him. So would you submit to Christ today? Would you, would you ask God to truly search you through his Holy Spirit and show you anything in your life that's not completely pleasing to him? I say this all the time, that the invitation is an opportunity for you to be instantly obedient. Whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, I want you to submit to it. But I'm going to give you a caveat today. I don't always say this, but I want to make clear. That means anything he's convicting you of. Not just profession of faith or rededication or moving your letter or joining the church, but maybe God's calling you to full-time vocational ministry. Again, maybe God's called you to reconcile some relationship. Maybe God is convicting you about something that you're doing in an interpersonal, on an interpersonal level that you need to go make right. I'm asking you to do this, that you would ask God to search you, give the Holy Spirit authority, freedom to roam all through your life and find anything that's not pleasing to Him. And then if He brings it up, that you would put it down, that you would correct it. Would you do that with me? I'm going to ask you to stand. Go ahead, all over the room, you stand. I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you need to come talk to me, if you need prayer, if you need you know, anything we can do, if there's a relationship you need to go fix, uh, whatever it is, I want you to be obedient. Only you know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and what God is prompting you to do. I want you to be instantly obedient this morning when I pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. I pray, God, that you are honored and glorified in the way we treat it, the way we use it. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't know if, if, if what I say makes any sense. I, I know that I'm just trying to be a vessel. But God, I know more than any of that, that you have the power to take any foolish thing that I say and turn it around and use it for something that would draw people into faith, would draw people out of sin, would draw people into a closer walk with Christ. 
So God, what's been said here, I pray it was all yours. If it was not, I pray it'd fall to the side. And God, I pray right now that your, your voice would be heard in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives and we'd be instantly obedient. God, do something in this time that you want to do and let us be surrendered to it. And we give you praise for all of it in Christ's name. Amen.